Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, creating and sustaining faithful ministries. Um, so big question that I always like to ask in these interviews uh, and I think you're a great person to ask this is sort of what are the theological underpinnings? You've already sort of alluded to a lot of them, but, but if you could specifically articulate. Oh man. That, that's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. The first thing, the thing that I've been talking to a lot of people about lately um, when I'm doing speaking engagements is I talk about the woman at the well and I talk about how, you know, Jesus was there specifically for her. And, you know, she was in this community where she was not, you know, she wasn't looked at as favorable, right? And Mm -hmm. people knew her sins. They knew what was going on in her life. Um, And he came specifically for her. In fact, went out of his way in a dangerous way to come there for her. And this woman was the first evangelist of Samaria, about these young women that I am honored to walk alongside, that they are her, that these young women are going to turn this world upside down. As a society, often when you think of single moms, I ask people this often, what do you think of and who do you picture as a single mom, especially a young one? And they always have a a lot of things to say, but it's never somebody who is an overcomer. It's never someone who can get a Ph.D., there's never someone who is a great mom. Uh, it's never somebody who can manage her money well. It's never someone who's influential in the community. So I use that story to say, like, God is going out of his way to use the things that this world thinks as foolish, as wise, um, mm-hmm. determined wise. And these young women, they're leaders. They're, they know what they're, they know their minds. They are survivors. Um, they are going to turn the world upside down. And so theologically, that's that's where I start, at least for them and with them. And then I also think about um, the Beatitudes and just how, you know, God is near the brokenhearted, and he is calling us to not just sit on our laurels and wait until we get to heaven where all the good things happen, but he's calling us to bring the kingdom now. And... Um, to be kingdom-minded now and what that looks like for us is these young women can stand in the pulpit. They don't have to have Mm -hmm. some degree or whatever. They got testimony, their life skills and their life experience. Um, What they need is people to show them, like, how do you read your Bible, to disciple them. What we look for in our society is a quick fix. Bring that young woman into this thing, get her to learn how to budget get her into college or get her to finish her GED and get her off of assistance. And that's what people look at. But for us, mm. we're actually looking holistically, uh, just as Jesus did, holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, these young women, it takes a long time to disciple someone and walk alongside them. So this is not fast work. And some will, sometimes we'll just be planters and girls will come for a season, get what they want out of it, you know, take the meat, pick, lead the bones. And they'll, they'll mm-hmm. leave and will we'll not know what happened with them. And other times, they stick around and they become leaders 
and one day they're going to take my job, and I'm going to love that. <laughs> so that's, to me, to be minded in the kingdom, like nothing came fast. I mean, Moses didn't even get to see the promised land. All those hours, he walked all those years, he those experiences, and he didn't get to see that. I might not get to see that in my lifetime, a mom's success or what that looks like for her child. I might not get to see the broken cycle that has been repaired. The repair of the breach is what God is. And so Thank you giving me goosebumps because I can just, I can just, I don't even know any of these kids, but I can just, just picture, you know, some kid that that a mom brought into your program when the kid was, you know, a year old or something, and he grows up and is is the mayor or is a doctor or is a teacher or goes into the nonprofit world or. You know, um, I, that's just, that's so exciting. But I also yeah. know that's hard because, <laughs> you know, you you have that vision, but like you said, you know that you might not actually get to see it, which I know, uh, you know, is, is, is sort of a romantic vision as we can have of that. We also know in the day to day, damn it, I would, I would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see the fruit, you know, yeah, the, the fruit of um, so-and-so's life 20 years from now or 30 years from now or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I love I love that you're thinking, because this is something I've, I've found in, in so much of the work I've seen, that you're working very intentionally with mother and child because they're both worth your time. They're both valuable, you know, human beings that that have you know, all these potentials you've been talking about and just because they're worthy of love and dignity. I think that's, yeah. that's, yeah, that's the way to go. And then like the other part is like totally dying to yourself, right? Because there's a tendency in our humanity to try to fix people. It just is a tendency to think that we know better. Hey, I have to be like, wait a minute, shut up, Tanya. <laughs> this is her life. It's not your life. Like, you know, um, and I think that's really important to remember because we always we're result driven as a society. We don't know what God is going to do with that story. I mean, there's a yeah. reason why he talked about seed planters. There's a reason. Um, I don't know what the, how that story is going to end, but I'm in it mm. for the long haul. And sometimes that looks like to those that are funders out there, maybe listening, that sometimes that looks like the data you see. There's data points that. Maybe it's not the data point you're looking for. She showed up for 12 of the sessions. That's the best she could do. That's awesome. She showed up 12 times. Um, maybe she didn't complete the program, but she showed up 12 times. That's pretty significant for somebody who's moving a lot and has a lot of trauma. We try to emphasize those kind of things because we're so result-driven in our society. And the results you might not see in the way that you got to have kingdom eyes. You have to catch kingdom eyes with this work, yeah. with any work. I remember one of the things we used to talk about at Embrace, which I know you are now attending. I don't know how it is that our our uh, tenures there didn't cross over, really, but um, we would talk about folks. It was like, you know, so-and-so might not ever get their life fixed up the way that we think, but it is great that they're being more kind today than and helping when they've never done that before, or to, you know, like like these kind of things that that don't that that aren't as easy to sort of plot on a chart and measure and all of those kind of things, 
but that if you're on the ground and you're working with somebody day in and day out and you're seeing that, you're like, that's huge. And being able to recognize that and articulate that to funders, um, especially especially Christian funders, I'd say, to be able to say to them, hey, Peter was an idiot for time that he was with Jesus, right? Like, if any, you know, anyone was going to ask the stupid questions, it was Peter. And yet, you know, so if you were, if you were funding Jesus's ministry, you might be like, well, uh, that Peter guy is good reason not to. But then you, but then you think, but Jesus is working with him faithfully. And of course, you know, we, we, we know how he goes from running from a slave girl one day to, Receiving the Holy Spirit and preaching the, the 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 opening sermon of the church not not too long after and and so I think getting quote unquote results is wrong but to look for ministries who are in it for the long haul ministries who are in it for lack of a better way of putting it in the trenches who are in the day to day who are building relationships because they're the ones who are really getting the deep stuff done the stuff that's hard to measure but the stuff that that has real long-term, life-changing, multiple-generation-changing impact. Yeah, in- they don't owe you anything. You're you're there mm. because God placed you there, and you've put something in you that you need to give out. They don't owe you their lives changing, but when it happens, it's beautiful to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's great, too. I, I've recognized this, and I'm sure you have, that that you have these these moments where they say something to you that ministers to you in a way that that no one else could. Yes, absolutely. That happens all the time. <laughs> especially, especially in the children. When the children say, um, I told my mommy we had to come because I wanted to pray, or uh, I love being here because I feel safe. You're like, whoa. It is so much bigger than I thought it was, and the influence is so much deeper, and I am not responsible for that. Like, I'm responsible Mm -hmm. to do this work well and to be conscious of that, but, like, the Holy Spirit, and that's not my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing it, (laughs) you know? Oh, absolutely, right? Like, that's, that's, I think that's another good word, right? Part of, part of, a large part of our job is, is just, faith that that we be faithful to the extent we can be faithful and trust that God's going to do what God's going to do instead of thinking, you know, we can usurp the role of the Holy Spirit with skills or with money or with the ministry and saying, okay, God, uh, that's I, that's what I can do the rest is, the rest is yours uh, and trusting that God will indeed do those kind of things. Um, if you don't mind, the next Two questions I have, um, I guess, get a little bit more personal to you. You've talked about your staff culture and, and doing celebrations and, and having appropriate vacations and trusting your staff when they need to take a break and all that. But I kind of want to hear from you, like, what are – because I, I know you personally, so I know that outside of your work, you all – with your family and with with being involved in other ministry work and et cetera, et cetera. So what are the sorts of spiritual and emotional and sort of other practices that help you sustain your personal self so that you can keep doing this work? 
Oh, this is such a good question. Oh, I love it. Yeah, therapy. Therapy, therapy, get you a therapist. Your mental health is priority. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, that is part of my practice and will probably mm. always be part of my practice. So I've been praying for years for a small group of women to encourage and be encouraged by where I'm not, like, in charge of anything, and the Lord has provided that. So I have mm-hmm. a really great um, small group of women where I can just be real and vulnerable and just put it all out there and be heard and be given some, like, biblical advice. Um, and so having a, a, a community of some sort um, has really sustained me. And separate from that is, like, so we have two foster sons. Well, we adopted one, so we have an adopted son, and we have a foster son. We have two toddlers in our home that are wild. Um, And there's disorders involved in those kind of things as well. And yet Mm -hmm. this work that I do is all-encompassing, too. I have um, one of the most supportive partners ever. So when your spouse is... um, just supportive, like he's very egalitarian. So he's like, "All right, I'm mm. out. I got this." Like, <laughs> I'm gonna take care of the boys. <laughs> I come home and it's us, mommy time, and we share those responsibilities, and um, we keep try to keep that balance. Um, I don't always do it well, but yeah. I have this calendar. Um, it's called a passion planner, and it, it probably works with any like calendar. But I don't just use the calendar on my phone. I use that because my co-laborers need to know where I'm at and how to reach me. But in my planner, I take it, and before the month starts, I mark out date nights, and I mark out fair days, where if somebody calls me and says, can we have an appointment, I say, I have an appointment already. They don't need to know that it's with me. But I'm all about, like, self-care and marriage care, and I don't always get it right. But when I take the time to, like, highlight those days, I like to use a yellow marker, and I highlight those days in my planner, it's a reminder mm. to don't schedule anything on that day. Keep it sacred. Keep that Sabbath. Keep that holy. Like, that is so important in my spiritual growth and in my just rest. Like, I'm a, I'm a visionary, so, and a lot of people who head up things are, are about vision. In order to vision cast, you have to have time to just sit. Um, and so I mm. don't have that time a lot, so I have to cultivate that um, purposefully. Um, and then I'm a big into accountability, like, um, you know, my pastor, you know him well. Um, <laughs> so I'm able to say, you know, I, I can't do that or I can't do that or come to him and say, struggling with this. Um, so having some accountability in your life. And sometimes we don't like that because we don't like people like knowing all our stuff. But that's really important to have some sort of accountability. I'm big into that, like some sort of person that you're accountable to. Um, that helps me so, so much. I'm not a huge sleeper, so that's something that I'm working on. I'm not great at sleep. Get a lot of things done is I just will wake up in the middle of the night. I just don't sleep well. Um, so uh, that's one thing I am trying to work on. <laughs> and then exercise. I didn't mention that. I hate exercising with a passion that burns twice a week. I have to do it um, because it's a stress reliever, but also for my for my health. I love food. I always have, so I gotta like mm-hmm. exercise. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, I, I appreciate you saying those things because I, I'm I'm hearing some of the same stuff as as I've done these interviews, which seems to indicate to me that folks who are doing 
ministry well recognize some of these same things like Sabbath and like therapy and and like having trustworthy people in your corner sort of outside of your staff who are the folks who make up the community that are sort of working on belong you know along beside you the ones that you can share your burdens and your joys with the ones who help sustain you in the work yeah that and it's important for me that those people oftentimes are people that share my faith tradition. Um, it's really good to have people that share your faith tradition but come at, from all different angles. I have very conservative friends who speak into my life. I have very progressive friends that speak into my I have people from every walk of life um, that speak into my life, and I think that's important because I have different perspectives, but they all love me, um, mm. and I love them and respect them, and I think that's it's just so important to have different um, different people in your corner. So uh, I have a spiritual mama who um, I didn't become a Christian until my late 20s, and mm. she uh, discipled me and helped lead me to the Lord, and I can call her 24 hours a day. Um, and then I have um, my small group, and uh, my best friend lives in um, Virginia, where I'm uh, sort of from. I'm an Air Force brat, but I'm sort of, sort of from there. And we talk. Uh, we talk on Marco Polo a lot. We leave each other messages on the Marco Polo app, and uh, it's accountable. It's accountability. So I have very specific people. And then just, like, literally a village of people who will come get my kids at any minute if I'm like, ooh, I'm struggling. Um, mm. Come get these babies. <laughs> um, I recognize how that, that that's a privilege because I see that my mom, um, a lot of our moms don't have that kind of village. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one for anyone in ministry who has kids and we we you know, we've got a couple kids so I understand trying to figure out And I don't want my kids to become like PKs. A lot of my PK friends are like, Man, my parents never had time for me. They never had um, I don't that's yeah. not a lifestyle that I'm willing to live. Yeah. My uh my wife talks about this in our our opening podcast. She's a preacher's kid thankfully she was not uh neglected her her dad is has always been pretty good about you know uh that balance but yeah absolutely i see that i had a preacher tell me a while back um when i was early in ministry he said that uh for the first you know like decade or so of his marriage he had a mistress and i was like well that's not good and he was like <laughs> He was like, yeah, my mistress was the church. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I, you know, I get that. Um, so yeah, I can appreciate you saying that to make sure that your kids are taken care of in all of this, that you, you don't neglect your, your, your husband, your kids, your, you know, your family in the, in the process of helping, you know, a whole bunch of other folks. That's honestly, uh, something that I think is translatable. Uh, across all kinds of different kinds of work for the, you know, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to mediocrity in the sense that you're not going to pour everything you have into your ministry, right? Because, or at least the, 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 the one you're getting paid for or whatever, because all of those things can't be sacrificed at the altar of, of whatever group's paying you to, to be there, you know. So that's a good word. It's so true. And and I think the last thing I would say, too, is just to make sure that you are feeding 
yourself with, with um, the things that you're passionate about. Like, I love consulting. I just, I love it. I, it's not work to me. It is, like, just a beautiful outlet for me. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, I, when I get to travel and there's no, like, toddlers crawling in the bed and, like, <laughs> I got the whole bed to myself. Um, <laughs> um, that feeds my soul, so I make room for that when I can. Um, I think that's just, like, those are important things. you got to feed your soul. you got to be there for your family, but you got to be there for yourself, too. Yeah, that's yeah, that's also right, being there for yourself. Uh, I've, I'm guilty of this. I preach Sabbath all the time, uh, and yet I rarely live Sabbath. Uh, that's, that's something I found to be true of a lot of folks in this kind of work and other ministry work is <laughs> some of us are really great at preaching Sabbath. We think yeah. it's true, and yet we, we somehow fail to manage to make it happen. So I'm glad that you're, you're making it happen. It's hard though. Like, oh, it is. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. It is very difficult. <laughs> and it's weird because it's like, in some sense, Sabbath is, is, is the, there's a certain sense in which it's work. And I even think back to Sabbath back in, in, you know, Old Testament Jewish times that that meant that you had to work harder Monday through Saturday or, you know, Sunday through Monday, uh, Friday, whatever the days would be. You know, that means you had to do more and get some more things ready and, you know, make sure that all the stuff was done and the extra cooking and all that. So that Saturday, mm-hmm. not doing any of that, right? So it's not like yeah. the work doesn't, all the work doesn't have to get done. But then when you get to have that, it somehow, you know, it's almost a, it's divine. I was going to say it's almost magical, but, but <laughs> you know, that, that it somehow it works. It refreshes us and it, it makes the next Sunday through through you know Friday doable all over again or whatever whatever schedule it is that folks keep their their sort of Sabbath time on. Yeah, and what I can't figure out is like meal prep. I need to like come and visit you guys. Uh, I can't figure that out. I just can't figure it out. We I I was just on my uh, before my computer died yesterday and or day before I had to send the shop. I was looking through the hundreds of different. And it seems like that we've tried to do meal prep in our marriage. And oh my gosh, it's changed so many times and we can never quite find the perfect system. But I, I, I will say, uh, this is a, just a, this is a freebie for anybody listening. I have fallen in love with my, uh, my little sous vide machine. It, you just throw your food in a plastic bag and some water and turn on the, the little sous vide machine. And it cooks everything perfect. Or you can't overcook it. It and they're cheap. Um, so anyway, I've that has <laughs> changed our life and the way that we cook. But anyway, that's an aside. Uh, <laughs> but yes, meal planning is the hardest. Last night we ate leftovers and our kids ate pizza pockets. So <laughs> I that's told- real. That's ministry right there. That's yes. Real. <laughs> yes, I totally understand. I totally understand. And I think that, that, that you'd probably, I would, I would think it would agree with this, that probably don't want to feed our kids pizza pockets every night, but sometimes it all falls apart and that's what's going to get their stomach fed. And so that's what we give them because that's just the reality of, you know, how some days come together. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. That's, that feels like the kind of mantra one should put on one's mirror or something and, right. <laughs> you know so i guess the the last 
kind of things I want to just really open up to you and, and ask you if you could t- say would be some of your favorite stories that you've experienced over the last several years of, of being in this particular ministry. Oh, wow. That's so good. Um, so one of the stories that I tell often is about this um, gorgeous redhead who was one of my first mommies that I got to sit down with who walked into my office just really not knowing what to do with her life. She had a boyfriend that she loved dearly who was the father of her little one who had written some bad checks and was in jail and was mm-hmm. ready to get home. And she began to talk, and I just asked her, like, well, what do you want? And she said, nobody's ever asked me that before. Wow. Um, talking to her, she really didn't want this young man in her home. He was abusive and mm. um, he was not a contributor to the home, and she didn't want her son around him, but she was going to mm. let him come back. And I said, you know, this is, and she wanted me to make the decision, and I was like, this is not my decision. Actually, you have to do some work on yourself. Um, she did some therapy and um realized that she wanted him to come home but with boundaries and so she set boundaries on him and he went off and she said mm-hmm. okay now i know like he's not supposed to be here before long she was like really leading other moms and um she's gotten a savings account she wanted to take her son to disney world so she saved up money she worked hard she did all these great things and then she met a fella and this actually happens quite a bit they really want a family so she met a guy, and she started to withdraw and didn't show up. And this was over a period of three years where she was just really into coming and then just started to withdraw. And we were like, oh, man. And we just kept reaching out to her. Just kept reaching out. And she kept pulling away. And we just kept reaching out. And finally, um, one day, she came to my office and let me know, like, it wasn't a great situation, but that he was working on his anger and that kind of thing. And then I get a call from another volunteer who says, um, Tanya, the SWAT team's at her house right now. What had happened is he had held her hostage um, and her kids as well with the mm-hmm. firearm and talking about he was going to hurt himself if she left or he was going to hurt her. And um, uh, I just, I just want to give a, a warning for anyone who's listening. This, this does have some violence in it. And you might run it off for a second if you get triggered easily. Um, but he had kept her in the house all night, and there was kids in the house, and she said, I'll never forget this in my life. She said, Tanya, the whole night he was beating me, and I didn't cry or scream because I didn't want him to remember that the kids were in the room, and I didn't want him to go after the kids that were in the other room. Uh, I thought, oh, man, like, that wrecked me. It wrecked me. Um, I helped her pick glass out of her hair. Uh, when he gave us the all clear and let us in and went to court with her and she was like, I'm done with him. And I remember using my body to shield her in court so that he wouldn't see her and look at her. And then a couple of weeks later, she was back. She was back with him and she was like, he's changed. Everything's going to be okay. And we just had to love her through that without judgment, um, without going, I'm disappointed in you, without letting my voice even sound disappointed. I want you to be safe. I want you to be yeah. safe. I want you to reach your goals. Just love and honor. And a couple months later, she walked into my office, and she was like, oh, this was driving by. I wanted to say hi. And I just could see her countenance. I could see it because I knew her, because we had a relationship. I was going on in your life. She's like, everything's great. He's wonderful. He's got anger management. You know, he's doing great. And I looked at her, and I said, you are lying to me. She broke down in tears, and she's like, I'm afraid every day. And I looked at her, and I said, this man is going to kill you. I just feel everything in my spirit is saying, he's going to kill you. Are you ready to leave? And she said, yes. 
So we got her um, to another state that night. And um, just yesterday, I was texting with her. This has been a couple of years now. Um, she came back last year to Step by Step and gave her testimony to all the moms and talked about, like, it's not worth it when somebody mm-hmm. isolates you from people who actually care about you and just, like, really shared. And mm-hmm. um, she just bought her first house by herself. She's doing great. She's going to school. She's working a great job. Um, and then I got a um, text message um, from her, and she said, so what are you doing in November? I, was like, I don't know what I'm doing in November. <laughs> she, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I said, well, how would you like to um, – officiate my wedding to a God-fearing man. Wow. And she just really vetted him. And she's just like, yeah, I'm in a healthy relationship for, like, the first time in my life. And she's doing wonderfully well. But it was – and she credits the program. She's like, you guys mm. loved me and loved me. You just loved me mm-hmm. where I was and didn't try to change me. That story will stick with me always. Um, we talk a lot about Jesus here, but we welcome everyone, and everyone knows they're like truly knows they're welcome. So, um, one young lady just this year has been with us for three years, and anytime we would say about Jesus or pray or have worship, she would just sit down and she's like, "I'm just gonna chill. Like this is y'all's thing. I'm here because y'all love me. Um, I'm here because my kids are having fun. I'm here because the meal is mm-hmm. good." And uh, so she's been with us for three years. Sometimes she'll cross her arms when somebody's preaching or whatever. Um, and uh, she she raised her hand during a sermon uh, and said, you guys keep talking about this scripture. Can we get some Bibles? <laughs> <laughs> she wanted us to order Bibles for everybody, so we did. Every mom got a Bible, and um, two weeks later, she accepted Christ. Um, and yeah. she's like, she's going to get baptized in April. She's just doing really well. Um, and for me, like, whether or not she accepted Christ, like, of course, I'm all about people accepting Christ and walking with Christ because it's not like a prayer. We tell them that all the time. It's not a prayer. It's like your life. It's a lifelong journey. Uh, it's not just yeah. a prayer. Um, but to watch her, you know, say, and I said, what changed you? Like, what what made you change? She said, because you guys aren't forcing this on me. I made my own decision. Mm-hmm. I listened to you, watched you, like, saw that you all, y'all were real. Like, I've been listening for three years, and this is a decision that I want to make. And so um, watching her, like, do that, like, for herself and come into a relationship with Christ has been so beautiful. Um, yeah, so, it, and it's also a testament to how atheist, Jewish girls, Muslim girl, whoever walks through the door, we're just going to love you. We're not. We're just going to love you. But for me, that was just a big moment of her saying, like y'all, I already know what y'all believe. I want to see that it's real. So that was awesome. That's that's fantastic. I love those stories. I love. So for the first for the first young lady you mentioned, how long? Like how many years did that story play out over? From kind of where you the first time she walked into your office to say when she asked you to officiate her wedding. About Got how it. long was that? Six years. Six years. Okay, I, I really want people to hear that because six years is a long time, and and I think kinds of different ministries that have all the different places, but but sometimes that's how things look. Is it's it's six years, and and it sounds like in you telling that story, for at least some of those years, she was not 
particularly present. You had the door, you had the door open for her for the moment that she was ready the course of that time. And, and I, I, I think that's just, that, that's a huge testament that I think folks need to hear that some, some kinds of ministries literally take years and years and years. And some of those years are filled with, with anguish, um, and despair for, for both, you know, you and your staff and somebody that you're, that you're working with, one of the young ladies you're working with, and you, you know, you just keep pushing through and keep being available. Yeah, for, and, and that is really important to remember. We, we texted her. We, even if she wasn't present, we would still reach out and text her and maybe she didn't even text that, but send her a note, just let her know we care about her. It's, it's mm-hmm. lifetime. It's lifetime. It's not just, like, if you're going to be in somebody's life, you're going to be in somebody's life, you know? Not, again, there's no quick fix. There's no quick fix. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the Christian Community Development Association folks talk about things like, you know, when they move into neighborhoods, they expect that, that 10 years is sort of the the minimum. Like, that's the starting point, you know, yeah. it burned enough trust maybe that you can start, you know, um, doing things. And I think I think that that kind of mentality is is um one that like as you said doesn't speak well to a lot of the ways that funders look at things who who want you you know in a year they want you know x number of results in this thing and that thing and so i just again encourage funders to to find a ministry you trust people you trust and 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 give money there and just do with with that money what god's going to do with that money even if even if the first year, the second year, or the fifth year, the seventh year, it, it doesn't look like it's yet bearing fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you trust the people who are running it and you trust that God's in it, then stick with it. So, um, so the, the the final thing, I just want to ask if there's any other things that you want to say, basically, any other <laughs> things you think are especially important that you want to leave folks with. Yeah. Um... I could say so much. What we are working on right now is um, as a staff, as co-laborers, we're reading some things about the theology of liberation, and we're following our mom's lead, and we're speaking into their lives about things that they can be civically involved um, without telling them which party to believe in or anything like that, just letting them know what is affected when they vote. Like, somebody is deciding how much how many benefits that you get for your kids to eat through the SNAP program or through the WIC program or those are things that you need to be aware of that your story matters and you need to share your story. And so um, last summer we partnered with the Kentucky Oral History Society and um, our moms collected oral histories from one another and now their stories are permanently a part of this Kentucky Oral History and letting them know their stories matter, I think, is empowerment 100%. <laughs> and so yeah. um, they got to yeah. read that. They got to choose what they shared. Um, they have autonomy to say, take it down if, I, if they don't want it up there anymore. But their stories matter. And I think if we start with stories and we are vulnerable um, with boundaries, because we, we share, we're vulnerable as well, but we have to have boundaries with our moms. Mm-hmm things we can't do, like watch their kids. But um, 
there's a vulnerability in being a Christ follower that you have to share when you're struggling. You have to share when things are hard so that people don't get this image of perfection, um, so that people don't get this image of all that we should care about is the babies that are um, unborn. But once they're here, we need to care about them too. That's Christ's message as well. Um, he suffered the children. He suffered the little children. And so taking it that our theology all the way through what we do is do we really care about not just the, these folks going to heaven, but them having an abundant life here? Yeah, and so, um As ministers of the gospel, what are we really doing? Um, and are we moving out of the way to allow others to come up behind us? Um, are we really doing that, or do we want to stay in positions of power and influence? Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to share that? Do we want to move out of the way so someone else can step up? So that is uh, our aim at Step by Step, and I'm very, very honored to work in something that is my calling, not just a passion. Yeah, I look forward to the day when uh, you're looking for a new job because one of these young ladies has taken yours. I know that you yeah. will be absolutely thrilled by that, and uh, I can't wait to see it. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a weird thing about this kind of work is that a lot of it, when done well, is is intended to to sort of work yourself out of a out of a dream. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me. I still remember um, the first time we met. Actually, was Shane Claiborne was speaking at Asbury yeah. Seminary. And we were walking out and started talking and realized we had some shared similarities. And, um, gosh, that was – had to be over a decade ago now. Yeah, um, I think 11 years ago, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I've loved watching um, you grow as a person. I've loved watching you, you know, have this family now, and I've loved – that that you kind of have gone from somebody who had great ministry passion but didn't quite have your place yet to now having your place that 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 you fit like you said that you're called to and that frankly from from all accounts um and everyone in Lexington Kentucky knows Tony <laughs> if they don't they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna that's right but from all accounts, that you are just doing a killer job with it. I mean, um, I remember when I was working up there a few years ago, there was very few conversations that came up in which your name came uh, didn't come up. So, uh, I mean, pe- people are talking about what y'all are doing, and I think people talk about what you're doing when what you're doing is worth being talked about. So... Christ be the glory. To Christ be the glory for all of it. And this is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host. Rachel at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.